everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one half of the show. My name's Jeff. As always, the uh, other quarter master or half of the show. That's an inside joke. Nobody else is going to get that. But it's Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? Hey, oh, I'm doing great, man. It's uh, The weather has certainly gotten to the point of where um, you know it's summer when you walk outside and get hit with that blast of warm air. You know, at least I don't have to go out there and play in this ridiculous heat. I mean, neither of us would do something like that, would no, they? No, nor a doubleheader. It, that right. would be stupid. <laughs> Can you imagine? So what Mark is referencing here is I, in my in my hardball league last week, I played a doubleheader out in Livermore where it was uh, between uh, 97 when we finished the second game and it was probably up around 100 during the during when we played these two games and it wiped me out like I for the 24 hours after that I was dead and I'm still pretty sore right now but I can't even imagine remember back in the day when the Cardinals or the Royals would have a day game Bush Stadium was was AstroTurf and and Kauffman or Royal Stadium at that point was AstroTurf. And they always had that thermometer on the field that they would show what the temperature was. Yes. And it was always 110 or whatever. And I remember somebody said that their their spikes melted into the AstroTurf at some point. That had to be miserable because it was a different there was a distinct difference when i was playing second base versus being in the outfield because at second base you're on that dirt and it's just reflecting right up on you it's a lot hotter there too just well yeah fun man hey but you are having fun right yeah yeah but you know uh the two strike noise studio here is just beautifully air conditioned as well so no (laughs) no worries there here but so so maybe we can get some of the kinks out of your neck and uh, it'll be like a sauna yeah it really it is a sauna uh like atmosphere here but let's not let's just hope everybody else is listening in to this at a, at a good temperature wherever you are and let's get right into this mark we got bp uh you know i might not take all my cuts all my turns uh, in my my group but let's get going here so i i was thinking of this uh totally sober wink wink last week i thought that you know joey Votto and zach Granke are retiring after this season both of them they've said so whether or not they will i don't know but uh this is what i'm this is what i'm proposing Put these two men in a VW wagon and let them travel around the country, you know, with a camera crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, put them in somebody's ears, like in, you know, an impractical jokers and have them tell the person what to say. Have them read a phone book. I don't care. These two should be best friends. I, I don't know. Maybe they already are. But I just want a camera on them 24 seven because they're both just so out there. I think they would be such a great a great pair to just watch interact with each other and other people. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think you're onto something. I mean, maybe we can talk them into it. Yeah. Let's uh, let, I'll just call them up after we're done here. We don't want them to be on the show. We'll just run this idea fast. I had a, I had a title for the show though. Deep thoughts by Jack Venke or Joey Venke or, you know, whatever, but. I, I, we got to make this happen because those two are just awesome. We played the, I think we played the Joey Votto, yeah, wrestler promo. Yes, that was great. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, are you watching the Little League World Series? I have caught uh, a few innings. That's it. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, those of us that work from home, I, I love it. Uh, I love the regionals even more than the actual when they're in Williamsport because it's just like all day I can watch games and the games are like an hour and a half. 
And uh, they're just great. But uh, a lot of kids this year rocking the two and ones, which is not good. No. We need to get them on the straight and narrow. Um, you know, if you want that look, because stirrups are awesome looking. If you want that look, you got to put in the work and do it the right way. That's all I'm saying. I think these kids need to, their work ethic. These these kids these days. One of the kids, they have these, these fun facts. Uh, you know, kind of like if you're at a stadium and it says, oh, uh, Sean Figgins' favorite uh, snack is pineapple upside down cake. They have mm-hmm. these kind of questions. And uh, one kid's fun fact was that he was, quote, unquote, a mac cheese, mac and cheese enthusiast. <laughs> An enthusiast. An enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> so he collects different types of mac and cheese, I'm sure. I Maybe. He probably eats them right away. But uh, another kid, when he was playing defense, so uh, he had his he had an oven mitt in his back, one of his back pockets sticking out. It was really big. Like, it went halfway up his back. And in the other pocket, he had, like, 14 pairs of batting gloves. Now, okay. they, they do provide dugouts. Does, this, does he not trust his teammates that they might steal this or what? I don't know why... He had to have that much on during the field. Uh, also, 99% of these kids slide feet first. So I'm not sure why they need the oven mitt, you know, other mm-hmm. than it looks cool and big leaguers wear it. But I don't right. I don't think I recall the last time I saw one of them going head first. Maybe he was barbecuing in between innings. Well, possibly. I, yeah. You know, when, when I'm playing, I'm afraid to go in head first because I'm afraid I'm just going to stop because I don't remember the last time I've slid head first. I, I slide feet first all the time when I'm playing, but I'd be afraid to hurt myself or to stick like I was sliding into Velcro. Not not right. a good that's always a That's always a fear. I always slide head first because if something's going to hit me, I want it to hit me in the head, not somewhere where it's going to hurt. No, there's not much to damage there either. So exactly. That's, that's the issue. Let's see, Mark. Uh, Francisco Landor. I love Frankie. Uh, I've always loved Frankie. He's on the Mets now, so I, I like him a lot. But he uses a different glove almost every game, which is incredible to me. Wow. Uh, the reason that he can do this is that a lot of them are not all leather. Uh, Rawlings has this new glove. It's not so much new, but it's a newer glove. It's called the Rev 1X, and it's almost entirely 3D printed. So this allows him to change and color coordinate his glove uh, with his shoes and his batting gloves every game, just about. Just like Ty Cobb used to do. Remember when he would do that? But during the game uh, a week ago that I was watching, Frankie said that it only takes him about an hour of infield during BP to break in one of these new gloves. That is an hour. bonkers. An hour. I mean, it takes me months to get it to, to feel like I'm comfortable with it. I have one I bought when I was 15 and it's, it's almost ready. You would think it's sitting in the corner over there undisturbed would have broken itself in by now. But right. Yeah. But one of the interesting things about this is because it's 3D printed, there are very few laces on it. You know, obviously, there's the laces at the top of the fingers that keep everything together. But in the palm of the glove, there are no laces. So it's more flexible right out of the glove. Uh, I know when I get a new glove, the first thing I do is is I'm pounding on it. I'm just rolling it. I'm doing it's all in that palm because all of those uh, all of the laces there is what makes it so stiff. And you got to work that out. Now, this is great. I'm not sure I'm too interested in one for myself, not being leather. They are also four hundred dollars a pop. So, Hmm. 
not like you can just buy one on a whim and, and see if you like it or not. I thought that was interesting because I noticed that he does color coordinate uh, his shoes, his gloves, his batting gloves and his fielding gloves, which I thought was interesting how he did that. Mark, you know something we we don't see a lot so much in baseball these days are brawls anymore. Not a lot. Certainly not, you know, Atlanta, San Diego. Uh, we right. don't see, uh, you know, people hitting each other over the head with bats or anything. Uh, I was reading an article about why there aren't as many brawls anymore. And my favorite theory came from uh, former journeyman catcher and mustache aficionado Sal Fasano where he said, this is his quote, he said, well, we don't have steroids and we don't have greenies. That's why there's a lot less fights now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. It does. But, you know, I think those are two big things. Also, you know, guys are making so much money now, they just, they they can't afford to get hurt. But uh, I like the greenies and steroids uh, angle. Uh, I think that makes sense. I like a good brawl now and then. I'm not going to lie. As long as my team isn't involved, so none of my you know players are getting hurt, um, I don't mind one now and then. I'm not going to root for one, but if one happens, I'll, I'll watch it. Like that that Tim Anderson uh, brawl a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, was, that was an interesting one. That was. I think a lot of people were happy with the outcome of that one. Uh, not <laughs> since like Jose Bautista and Rognet Odor had so many people been happy about the outcome of a a baseball scrum, but yeah. I just wanted to yell, down goes Frazier, but uh, his name wasn't Frazier. No, but, you know, they still adapted it to, to down goes Anderson. It was a good swing. I'll just say that. It was. Uh, Mark, you know, except for being a baseball fan where you're involved in a blackout, you know, pretty much anywhere you go around the country, this is a great time to be alive uh, for for any sports fan. Uh, there was no day baseball and no Little League World Series that I've been mentioning uh, on the other day. So I was looking for something else to have on my second monitor while I was working because I always like to have something. I, I can't just work in silence. I need something going there. These are the sports that I was able to choose to watch while I was working. This is, like I said, this is a great time to be alive. I had the uh, World Table Hockey Championships, the Wisconsin Auctioneers Championships. Ooh, whoa. Yeah. Uh, the Microsoft Excel World Championship. Boy, that just that just oozes excitement right there. Yeah, I mean, who can throw together a, a good spreadsheet the quickest and make it look the best uh, is, is always good. Uh, also had the Extreme Axe and Knife Games. The Professional Horseshoe League. I, I've been watching amateur horseshoes all this time, and I didn't know yeah. they were better. Very different. Uh, yeah. Uh, adult Kickball Championship. Uh, Major League Table Tennis. But we're not so elite here. We just call it ping pong. But still, Major League version. Uh, pillow Fight Championships was going on. The Foot Golf World Championships. That's where you play golf, but with a soccer ball. So, okay. The uh, Stein holding competition from Germany. The Stein holding? That is exactly what it is. It, it, it's guys with those huge beer steins full of uh, beer, seeing who can hold them up the longest. And this is a spectator this sport. Is, it, they televised it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. There is the World Dog Surfing Championships. 
surfing dogs were surfing or people were surfing on dogs uh i didn't watch but i'm assuming it was the former and not the latter because i would have been upset otherwise yeah Uh, and then grass drag racing which is just snowmobiles on grass apparently (laughs) they can't wait for winter so are the drivers on grass is the question uh, (laughs) i'm I'm sure they have a very strict drug testing policy in the uh Grass drag racing. And finally, the USA Dodgeball All-Star Game. I oh, wow. I didn't vote. I forgot to vote for my favorite uh, dodgeballer this year. But there you go. Uh, yeah, those are 100%. I did not make those up. Those are what is on during the day if there's no baseball right now. So, uh, And then, Mark, I sent this to you. This was another totally sober thought that I had come up with. Why... At baseball stadiums, are the dugouts still below field level? Yeah. I I want, I need somebody to tell me, why is this a thing? Um, You know, because the league I play in, uh, the dugouts are all just, you know, there's, there's a fence there to protect you from foul balls and that kind of stuff, but... I, I don't understand why do why do you want these highly paid athletes beyond being able to fall down those stairs going for a ball or, or fall over the, the railing? They're wearing metal spikes. Sometimes those stairs get slippery from people spitting, from water, from all that stuff. And if you're not walking on dirt or grass and you're wearing spikes, things get really slippery. I, I just don't understand this. Plus, you know, you've sat in a dugout in a major league stadium before. You can't even see, if you're sitting in the first base dugout, you can't even see third base because all of the fields are, you know, kind of on a very slight hill so that the water will drain off and not pool. I need some answers. Part of it has got to be that, you know, it's called a dugout, so you have to dig something out. Oh, heaven forbid we change <laughs> <laughs> the name. I'm just telling you, we can't until we change the name. What will we change it to? Player Hangout? Uh, well, maybe that's something we need to do. We need to come up with a new name for it. Maybe that'll spur the change. There you go. It, it, it'll sound so cool. I mean, don't want to call it that. Remember the stadiums? So let's think of the stadiums that didn't have dug in dugouts. You had Montreal, the Expos. That was. Remember, they had a track even going around the field where they ran track and field and then the dugouts. Uh, That's right. The Astros, didn't they have just like a fence? Yeah, I I think so. I'm trying to remember when uh, in the Bad News Bears, when they were chanting, let them play, let them like, were they in a dugout or was it just straight uh, seat uh, fence there? Let's see the uh, Jack Murphy Stadium, the Padres. That wasn't a dugout. That was just uh, you. That was that was on uh, that was on the same level. Uh, let's see, is there anybody else? Oh, the Kingdom. The Kingdom had them. Yep, yep. I'm gonna assume that the Metrodome had them. I think they. I don't know. I don't remember if those were dug in or not. But yeah, I don't know. Let's uh, let's come up with a name and then we'll pitch it next time we're uh, we're at the Major League Baseball offices. Yeah, the winter meetings or something. All right, Mark, this show is debuting on August 16th. Got a couple of names here of uh, players throughout baseball history that have made their debut today. First of all, 1979, John Tudor. Speaking of people that uh, suffered injury from uh, another player falling or or running down the dugout and landing on them, 
Uh, John Tudor made his debut in 1979. Overall, 12 years in the big leagues, a 117 and 72 record. Uh, Let's see. Wow. 1985 was his best year. (laughs) He ended up going 21 and 8, 10 shutouts, 14 complete games, a 1.93 ERA. Uh, Led the league in whip with a 0.938 for a starter. That was his whip. Yeah, came in eighth in MVP voting, second in the Cy Young uh, voting behind Dwight Gooden that was just incredible that year. As as good as Tudor was, uh, Doc went, uh, let's see, uh, 24 and four with a 1.53 ERA. He had 16 complete games, eight shutouts, led the league in strikeouts. His whip was 0.965. Gooden had a war of 12.2 that year for a pitcher. Wow. That wow. Is, yeah, that's a lot. Um, of course, Tudor, though, was injured. Uh, I think it was Barry Lyons in, uh, at some point dove into the dugout to try and catch a ball and, and ran into Tudor and, and hurt him. And that, uh, that caused him to not be able to play very well for a while. But uh, beyond that, uh, that 1985 I was telling you about just now, uh, first of all, he started off one and seven that year with a three point seven four ERA, so he was really struggling. Then he got a call from his former high school catcher, who happened to catch a game on TV that Tudor was pitching. Noticed that his delivery was off a little bit. Told him about this. Tudor then went on to win twenty more games, including his last eleven consecutive decisions. His ERA after the call one point three seven. So good for him. Uh, gets a call yeah, from no an old kidding. teammate. That's uh, that's a pretty good story. Yeah, I remember him just being a solid pitcher. He was the guy that you would go every five days. Here we go. We got a chance to win. I remember John Tudor baseball card I had that for some reason I drew uh, glasses on him. <laughs> you thought he was Tom Hanks? I don't know why I decided that uh, John Tudor needed glasses, but uh, I decided. It was like one of the, f- I think I probably found the card on the ground somewhere and did it. but Because I was very young, but no excuse. <laughs> Uh, All right. Uh, Also making his debut today on August 16th in 1989 is uh, a big SpongeBob SquarePants enthusiast and a big mark for the number three. It's Larry Walker. So, uh, I mean, we've talked about Larry Walker. We've had him in in Wax Packs Heroes several times, nicknamed Booger, nicknamed the Canadian Clubber. uh, I'm sorry, 17 years in baseball, Colorado for 10, Montreal for six, St. Louis for two. Uh, He had some really good years, especially in Colorado. I mean, he's a power hitter. 1997, won the MVP, 49 home runs, uh, batting average of 366. He had 208 hits that year. 49 home runs, 208 hits. You should file that away because I, I, on Immaculate Grid, a lot of times I get caught up on 200 plus hit seasons. Like, I don't know exactly who's hit that magical mark but larry walker did one time which i would have not thought no uh, make a note of it yep make a note of that ops that year 1.172 which is uh pretty darn impressive of course he's now in the hall of fame five-time all-star seven-time gold glove won a batting title three different times and three silver slugger awards as well a great outfielder big arm too is what i remember more than the glove was the arm uh, Mark, we think of Mookie Betts as being the best baseball player slash bowler. Yes. 
around. But did you know Larry Walker bowled a perfect game 300 in 2014? I did not know that. Yeah, there you go. If you start a, a fantasy baseball bowling league, here's your top two picks. Mookie Betts, Larry Walker. Uh, like I said, um, won the MVP award with the Rockies, 366, 49 home runs. Also stole 33 bases that year. That's a, that's a heck of a season. Uh, never heard his name associated with steroids. I mean, that's right in the uh, prime steroid era, but he was also in Colorado. The first ever Canadian-born MVP. Uh, two other Canadians have won the MVP. Do you have any idea who those two would be? Two other Canadians. Yep, we've mentioned one of them already. But if I've come up with these, that means I have to think. Yeah, and I, I know that's not a strong suit. But uh, <laughs> one is, of course, Joey Votto, the oh, man, gotcha. the mythical legend. This one, I, for some reason, I never think of him as Canadian until I hear it. And then I go, oh, yeah, that's right. Justin Morneau. Oh, yes. Canadian. Uh, also, Larry Walker is uh, credited as having an appearance on WCW Monday Nitro in 1999. Really? I am guessing it was in Colorado. I'm guessing he was just a fan in the crowd. And, you know, they used to scan the crowd. And usually there'd be some athletes from whatever city's home team sitting in the front row. Because I could find no mention of him anywhere in the synopsis. And, you know, Larry Walker being a wrestling fan seems pretty much on on brand for Larry Walker. Is he not putting that in front of me and going, there's no way this is going on. No, that makes sense. (laughs) Um, And then finally for debuts today was a big day in 2006 for Scottish baseball fans as both Eric O'Flaherty and Ryan O'Malley made their major league debuts. Very nice. Yeah. Edinburgh must've been crazy that night. I mean, Uh, I can just imagine the pubs there. There have uh, actually only been eight major league players who were born in Scotland. O'Flaherty nor O'Malley uh, were born there. They were both born in the United States. The most well-known, though, is Bobby Thompson, who, of course, hit one of the most famous home runs ever in the shot heard around the world. The last uh, player in the big leagues that was born in Scotland was Tom Waddell who pitched for three seasons with Cleveland in the 80s. I remember I remember him vaguely. I remember mm-hmm. his baseball card. Uh, also, Hugh Nickel, who played uh, for 10 years in the 1880s. He was credited with 138 stolen bases in 1887. Uh, not to be confused with Kid Nichols, the Hall of Fame pitcher who won 30 or more games in seven of his first nine seasons with the Boston Bean Eaters. I, I looked that up because I'm like, is this Kid Nichols? I didn't think he was a, a position player. But uh, 138 stolen bases. Of course, uh, you got credited with a stolen base at that time if you advanced one more base than the, uh, the, the, than the batter did. So if you were at second and the batter singled and you scored, you got credit for a stolen base. So not really the way they do it today. Thusly why... Uh, it, Q Nickel is not in the uh, Hall of Fame and ahead of Ricky Henderson. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you imagine if we had kept track of Ricky's, uh, you know, going from second to home? Yeah. How those stolen bases? I mean, he I probably double. Yeah. <laughs> Especially then, think of the strategy. Like, you put somebody like Cecil Fielder behind him who can't <laughs> run. So, you know, unless it's a home run, it's probably not going to be an extra base hit. And then Ricky just runs and racks up. 
you know, all those extra stolen bases. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's a way to do it. We just got to get that rule back. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll bring that up next time as well with the dugout thing. Got a lot of things. Can take some notes. All right. uh, That's going to do it for our batting practice segment. Grounds crew out here doing their stuff. They're working hard. Uh, Don't forget to tip your grounds crew. It's it's hot out here. Um, I mean, they've got a hose. They can cool off a little bit. They're watering the dirt right now. But with that, Mark, this is a special episode. It's one of our Tales from the Dugout episode. This is show number 223. Uh, and, but this is uh, Tales version 35, according to my notes. That's uh, that's a lot of tales we've told. Yeah. But, uh, you want to tell some more? Sure, why not? All right, why don't, why don't you go ahead and start out? Well, okay, well, I was checking out some more Yankee stuff, you know, and, and uh, just trying to figure out. As you out, do. You're, you're a big Yankee fan. As prone to do. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I... Uh, I discovered that the Yankees have played uh, around 18,700 games in their history. So in that history, how many times has a Yankee hit four home runs in one game? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's only a handful of guys have done it, period. Yes. I'm going to, well, I'm going to guess just the way you're, you're leading off here. I'm going to say the Yankees have never done it. It's a good guess, but they've done it one time. It was Lou Gehrig. Oh, Really? Lou Gehrig hit four home runs in one game. Um, and then the other one I wanted to point out was in all these 18,000 games, uh, only one player, Tony Lazary, has ever hit for the natural cycle. So single, double, triple home run in that order. So that's only happened once as well as the four home runs has happened once. Now, here's the crazy part. Both the above events happened in the same game, <laughs> June 3rd, 1932. Wow. <laughs> what was the final score of this game? <laughs> Uh, hold on, I have it called up right here. It was, uh, I got a box score and everything. Uh, 20 to 13, the Yankees beat the Philadelphia Athletics. Looking at some of these line scores, they're pretty interesting. Um, yeah, we got Lou Gehrig four for six that day with uh, six RBI. And then uh, Tony Lazarus was five for six. Even Babe Ruth got in on the action, two for five with a home run. Pretty crazy game. And uh, to have those two events happen. They've only happened once in the 18,000 game history of the Yankees, but it happened on the same day. I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. That, uh, that is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it also goes to show the Yankees are really overrated. The fact that they only have one of each of those. <laughs> yes. They haven't won much. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, go Yankees. You know, we're big fans here, so we'll, uh, just, uh, sit back and silently enjoy that one. So, um, Mark, one of my buddies who I met at Fantasy Camp last year, uh, and I still hang out with, uh, he lives pretty close to me here, he got to throw out the first pitch at the A's-Rangers game a week ago. Nice. Yeah, very cool. I caught some, we'll call them bullpens, I'll do the air quotes for him, uh, to practice uh, when we get together and, and throw the ball around and do that kind of stuff. He was determined to throw from the mound, which if you haven't thrown from a mound before, is a lot different than throwing uh, from flat ground. Uh, plus the fact you're in the middle of a major league baseball park. Everybody's watching. Uh, you know, you, you obviously need to concentrate and know what you're doing so you don't end up looking like 50 Cent did when uh, his... <laughs> debacle of a first pitch uh, by the way i did let him know that if he did insist on going to the rubber and he ended up not making it all the way to home plate i was definitely gonna never let him hear the end of that but he got it there no problem uh, we'll call it an eric greg called strike 
But okay. uh, I was impressed because I doubt in that situation I would have been able to get it anywhere near the plate. So he did a really good job. Uh, but I was thinking about the history of first pitches. I mean, every game obviously has the first pitch. Otherwise, the game couldn't start. But the ceremonial first pitch is what I was really thinking about. Um, past presidents throwing out the first pitch is really the only real newsworthy first pitch, unless somebody just does something horrendous and, you know, spikes it or hits a cameraman in the groin or, you know, something like that that you see every now and then. The first presidential first pitch was William Taft in 1910. Now, if you know anything about presidential history, you know that Taft was a rather rotund individual. He was listed at 5'11", and at his heaviest, weighed around 340 pounds. So, uh, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, It was just a little bit different than what we see today, though. He threw it out from the stands when he did this for the very first time. Now, I'm not sure if it was because uh, they just thought that's how it should be done, or if getting him on the field was just not in the cards to get a man that big out of the stands and onto the field. I don't, you know, back in in 1910, I'm guessing nobody was on the field except for the players. But uh, once he did it from the stands, that's where it took place. Uh, It first one was at National Park in D.C. The Nationals, not the Senators, were hosting the athletics. The Nats won the game. Uh, So baseball being a bit superstitious, I don't know if we've ever touched on that. They invited Taft back the next season to do it again. The Senators won again. So in 1912, the doesn't seem silly to ask him back to uh, throw out the first pitch again. Uh, One thing, though, there were a couple of notable historical things that happened in 1912. One, Fenway Park opened, but also the Titanic sunk the same day that Fenway Park opened, really foreshadowing the next, you know, 100 plus years of baseball at Fenway. But uh, one of Taft's friends and aides, Archibald Butt, drowned in that disaster, and he was attending he was attending the funeral. Um, oh, Archibald. You don't hear that name anymore. N- nor do you hear a lot of guys named Butt. Not uh, a lot. No, yeah. not yeah, Not as many as there probably should be. Uh, presidential first pitches became a thing, and uh, all but Jimmy Carter, the last guy and the current guy, uh, have thrown out first pitches either on opening day, the All-Star Game, or the World Series while serving as president. So, you know, Biden hasn't done it as president. He did it as uh, as as vice president, though. Gotcha. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt has thrown the most. He did it 11 times while in office, which I'm going to go ahead and say that that's not going to be broken. It'd be a tough one to, to break it, uh, these days. Yes. Yeah. Uh, George W. Bush did it 14 times, but not all well president, but not all of them were well he was uh, was president. He's done a lot since, even before he was president, he threw out a couple of times. The uh, tradition of throwing it from the stands, though, that went by the uh, wayside when one Mr. Ronald Reagan showed up, I think from everything I can read here, unannounced at Wrigley Field. And uh, this is, um, well, I'm just going to let Harry Carey describe it. There he is with a cub jacket on. Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States. In a moment, he'll be introduced to the crowd. We direct your attention to the Cubs' dugout area. The Cubs are honored to have a special guest here today. Please welcome the President of the United States throwing out the ceremonial first pitch. A great hand for the President of the United States. He's had two great 
presidencies, John Madigan Gridium, Mary Ellen Cobb, the ball girl. Boy, oh boy, does he ever look good? How does he do it? What a moment this is in the history of Wrigley Field. How about a moment for Mary Ellen Cobb as she walks the president out to the pitching mound? Now let's see the form he displayed. And Damian Berryhill, who's from Southern California, proud giving him a great welcome. Now let's watch his pitch. High and inside. Damon Berryhill. How about the thrill for that 24-year-old rookie catcher? The President of the United States will come up to the broadcasting booth. If so, you'll have a chance to hear him as the people in Des Moines, Iowa used to hear him when he would recreate Chicago Cubs game. I think he wants to throw another one. I don't think he was very happy with the location of that first one. Hey, that one's much better. <laughs> Boy, how, how old is he, 74? Boy, does he ever look marvelous. I think he looks good in the Cub jacket. He would look good in anything. He's just a good-looking fella. So, uh, Mark, I'm not sure who Harry was thirsting over more there, Reagan or the ball girl, Mary Ellen Cobb. Yes. But he's a big fan of both, apparently. A <laughs> uh, couple of things to note here, as Harry said. Uh, Reagan signed the ball for then-rookie Damon Berryhill. Uh, Damon Berryhill, good score for me last week on Immaculate Grid. Uh, also, he threw a mulligan. He th the first one was a bit inside, and uh, so uh, Damon Berryhill had a second ball. The president took it and waved him back and threw a second one. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Get it right, you know? Yeah, and by the way, Barry Hill was not even behind the plate. He was standing out in front of the, the home uh, home plate dirt. It was, it, was, it, was not a, it was not from the rubber type of thing here. But uh, what was not noted here, though, was uh, that this was the first time that a president did throw an opening pitch from the field and not from the mound. Ah. So now nobody throws it from the stands. I don't remember the last time if I if I've ever seen that. Also interesting to note that uh, as Harry said, Reagan at one point did play by play for the Cubs in the 1930s for a station in Des Moines, Iowa, where he would recreate games from a wire feed that he would get. One time that wire went down. And he described the batter, the same batter, fouling off 17 straight pitches until the wire was fixed. And uh, then he caught up with what was going on in the actual game. But quite a battle in that one. Uh, well, that I one guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also should note that uh, even today, I don't believe if Reagan were in Des Moines, Iowa, he would be able to watch the Cubs because I think it'd be blacked out just like it was oh. then. He had to use the wire. Well, that just ain't right. Yeah, but uh, we'll bring that up too. We got ah, we got a long list here when we go to grievances. Go to Manhattan next. Yeah, I think the only time since that Reagan pitch that there was a ceremonial pitch thrown from the stands was when Queen Elizabeth threw out the first pitch in a game between the Angels and the Mariners. Uh, Reggie Jackson caught it, and for some reason, this game was played in uh, Dodger Stadium. Hmm. Yes. 
This uh, is very odd. Yeah, very odd. Uh, fun fact, uh, that was also the first and only game that the uh, game was umpired by the National Anthem singer as well, pulling double duty that day. <laughs> Enrico Palazzo, I believe it was. Oh, there you go. Very nice. Uh, the last actual sitting president to throw out the first pitch on opening day was Barack Obama. He did that at the Nats in 2010, which just so happened to be the 100-year anniversary since Taft first did it, also at a national Whoa. scale. And at a park called National Stadium. That's, Whoa. Okay. I, I did not realize that the old, old-timey Nationals played at National Stadium, which is what their current stadium is called. I was always, always wondered why there wasn't a sponsor attached to it, but maybe that's why. Yeah. Uh, I did see one thing uh, that I did not remember that I wanted to talk about when it comes to first pitches. Instead of uh, throwing from the mound to the plate in 2012, the Rangers had a retirement ceremony for Yvonne Rodriguez. And instead of having Pudge, the future Hall of Fame catcher, throw from the mound, he uh, took a squat behind the uh, behind his familiar spot behind home plate, and he threw a bullet down to second base to former teammate Michael Young. Perfect. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Speaking of that, Mark, I, I I was texting with you a couple of days ago, and I was watching a Savannah Bananas game, and uh, one of the pitchers came in in relief, and he pitched from second base. <laughs> What? I I didn't in, get all of the rules, but I think if you pitch from there, you only have to get one strike to get the out or something. But he he, he got it to home plate, but it wasn't a strike, and then he went to the mound. But I thought that was really weird to see a guy behind second base throwing to a batter at home. <laughs> I don't even think I'd have to hit a cutoff, man. Yeah. Trust me, we in my league, there's a lot of cutoffs, a lot of cutoffs. Uh, let's see, Mark, we got time for another uh, another quick one from you. Here's one is this little story I found about one of your heroes, Zach Grinky. Yeah, very topical. Yes. And um, it was before a June 26th game between the Royals and Oakland Athletics. And a 16-year-old kid wanted Zach to autograph a baseball. He came up to Zach with the ball and said, can you get your autograph? And Zach looked right at He said, here, I'm going to quote him. Zach took the ball, and he looked right up at me, and he stared at me for about five seconds, and he threw the ball. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. Hey, Zach, I just want to know, why did you do that? Why would you do such a thing? And he just said, for my amusement. And I was really just shocked. (laughs) Okay, but listen, a few days later, the team acknowledged the incident and said that Grinky had saw Waterworth, the, the guy that wanted the autograph, pushing younger fans out of the way to get to the ball. So he didn't want to sign for the kid. He didn't like what he had done. He did sign autographs for the younger fans that were over there. He just chucked the one kid's ball across the field. <laughs> you know, this is, remember, this is this is the same guy who sat there and watched, you know, remember when he sat on the grass and watched him fix the mound? Yep. You know, <laughs> Crisscross applesauce style. <laughs> fun stuff like that. You know, so it's not all that, it's not all that odd for him to, to, to be the one that did it, but I just thought it was hilarious. He didn't like the, what the kid did, so he chucked his ball across the field. <laughs> I'm telling you, get him <laughs> and Joey Votto together and just roll tape. 
Just, Absolutely, man. That is a reality show. It's going to be better than every other reality show, guaranteed. Yeah. I mean, we've got to have some big time Hollywood producers listening. I mean, they got nothing else to do right now. No, right. They don't. Let's make this happen. I mean, we just want some executive producer credit and, you know, maybe some some tickets. Uh, well, I guess they wouldn't be playing. Uh, let us go with them. We'll just we'll be in the chase car. But let's yeah. let's <laughs> I think this would be such a great idea. Uh, all right. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. That's going to do it for our uh, Tales from the Dugout segment. It is now time we're going to head into the last uh, part of the show. It is a segment that uh, we like to call, and so we still do, uh, Wax Pack Heroes. Wax Pack All right, Mark, looking up at the scoreboard, I have a bit of a lead right now which is scary. Yeah. I mean, uncharted territory. The scoreboard reads 10 to 7. We played at 20. I've never won, ever. Four-time defending champion you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. Uh, we're going to open up a couple of packs of baseball cards. If this is your first time here, what we're going to do, open up these packs, and uh, we are going to add up the baseball reference war of the year of the packs. And uh, beyond doing that, a couple of things that can add or subtract points to that as well. Anything on the player's face, that means eye black. Uh, glasses, sunglasses, flip downs, beards, mustaches, Brady Anderson, sideburns, anything like that going to get you an extra tenth of a point of war. If they got a really good mustache, we'll even give them an extra tenth of a point if it's like a Keith Hernandez Wade Boggs mustache. If they're wearing real stirrups where we can see sanitary socks, that's a tenth of a point. But the two and ones, we already covered that in the Little League World Series portion. That's a minus tenth of a point because you got to work to look that good. If they won an award the year of the car, that means rookie of the year, Cy Young MVP. If they were an all-star or won a gold glove, that's a half a point each. If there's a Hall of Famer on the card, whether they're the focus of the card or not, that's a whole extra point. Uh, If Ricky Henderson shows up in either Mark's pack or my pack, I get five points for that. If Nolan Ryan does, Mark gets the five points. Any pop culture references that we find, they're going to get an extra half a point each, unless they were in an episode of either The Simpsons, Seinfeld, or Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Then you get a whole extra point award, because those uh, appearances are legendary. And if uh, the player appears in the Mitchell Report or is suspended for uh, drugs or anything like that during their playing years, uh, that's a minus half a point because that is not what we like. And then, Mark, we're each going to pick a team. And just like Ricky or Nolan, if my team shows up in either pack, I get a half a point. Your team, you get the point. What team would you like to go with this week? I'm going to go with the Kansas City Royals. Is that in honor of Zach Granke? Sure. As far as anyone knows. All right. Well, then I'm going to go with the Reds uh, in in honor of Joey Votto. There you go. So, uh, Mark, we're finishing up a couple of rack packs here. I have got one uh, one section of some 91 Fleer and another section of some 90 Fleer. So we're going Fleer either way, but either 90 or 91. Which one would you like? I think I got to go with 90. All right, Mark, so you have got 1990 Fleers. We're going to start off right here. Uh, we're going to start off with a guy that I tend to use uh, a bit in the uh, in the Immaculate Grid. It is none other than Devo Devon White. Very nice. That could be good. Just uh, BT Dub here. He is with the California Angels at this point. One of our two favorite uh, guys that were born in Kingston, Jamaica, along with Chili Davis. Overall, 17 years in the big leagues. Six with the Angels, five with Toronto, two with the Dodgers, two with the Marlins, one with the D-backs, and one with the Brewers. 
I don't remember the Brewers or the D-backs, but I need to file that away because, like I said, I use them quite often in that game. Uh, let's see. In 1990, uh, let's see, fresh off his uh, gold glove and all-star performance the year before, appeared 125 games, hit 217 at 290 on base. Yikes. Ouch. 11 home runs, 44 RBI, 21 stolen bases, and a 79 OPS plus, And that equals a 1.7, which is better than a poke in the eye. I thought it was going to get less than that with that 217. Yeah, let's see here. He's got a mustache on, so you're going to get points for that. But I think that's going to be that's going to be it on this card. Three World Series for Devo. That's pretty impressive. Uh, two with Toronto in 92 and 93, and then he was on the Marlins in 1997 to win a, another World Series there. He was traded for Junior Felix and Luis Soho at one point, so he's got that going for him. Mm-hmm. Received a scholarship to play both college basketball and baseball for Oklahoma State. Wow. So that's pretty uh, pretty impressive. Originally, in uh, in Jamaica, his last name was spelled W-H-Y-T-E. Hmm. But, of course, it got misspelled when they... Uh, it got uh, changed when they immigrated, as happens to a lot of people. Uh, let's see. This could count here, Mark, uh, as a pop culture reference. Appeared in the Canadian children's television show television show under the umbrella tree oh well it's canadian so it should only be like half of what no the come on joey Votto is canadian uh <laughs> he appeared in uniform um at the uh, at the sky dome and he talked with uh, jacob blue jay and iggy iguana oh iggy sure yeah uh, i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna definitely say that's a that's a tenth of a point for uh for a pop culture reference or no it's a half a point right yeah so that, that helps yes. you. All right. So you're at 2.3 after one card. That's nice. Uh, next, you got a Hall of Famer, a, a newly minted Hall of Famer that is not Scott Rowland. If that tells you anything, it is uh, Fred McGriff. Oh, I was going to guess Rogers Hornsby. <laughs> yeah, he finally got in. That, yes. uh, About time. That uh, Veterans Committee finally snuck him in. But Fred McGriff, 19 years in the big leagues. Another good immaculate grid name. Five with the Rays, five with Atlanta, five with Toronto, three with the Padres, two with the Cubs, one with the Dodgers. Of course, we've mentioned he ended up with 493 career home runs, but he still got in, deservedly so. Also a big fan of defensive drills videos that he knew nothing about. Uh, 1995, he was a member of the World Series team in Atlanta, nicknamed the Crime Dog or the Fire Dog. Uh, Fire Dog, really, just one day, I think he was the Fire Dog. But uh, let's see, in 1990, he was uh, in his final year with Toronto. Uh, At age 26, he hit 300, a 400 on base, and a 530 slugging. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, 35 home runs, 88 RBI, five stolen bases for Fred McGriff, and a 153 OPS+. plus. How many stolen bases do you think Fred McGriff has in his career? Jeez, mm, I don't know. He had five this year. <laughs> okay, well, we'll go with 30. 72. Really? Only caught 38 times. I mean, that's half the time he was caught. But, you know, for Fred McGriff, that's pretty impressive. Sure, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> Let's see, all of that equals a 5.2 war. He is, of course, a Hall of Famer, and he has got a mustache. So that'll be a 6.3, just looking at the card. And do I get the Tom Amansky points? Uh, oh, I think that's got to be pop culture. I mean, I've got a T-shirt with that, so <laughs> there you go. I'm going to definitely give you uh, the the additional half a point for that. 
Uh, wow, he hit really good in the playoffs. Career 303 with a 385 on base in 50 games uh, in the playoffs. And that includes 10 home runs. Wow. In 50 games. That's uh, that's very impressive. What's wrong with that? Yeah, of course, drafted by the Yankees and then was traded by the Yankees with Mike Morgan to the Blue Jays for Tom Dodd and Dale Murray. Hmm. Then, of course, in a couple of blockbuster trades, traded by the Blue Jays with Tony Fernandez to the Padres for Roberto Alomar and Joe Kelly. I mean, that's or Joe Kelly and Joe Carter, which uh, obviously one of the biggest deals in our lifetime, I think, that ever went down. Yep. Oh, apparently Marty Barrett was the first one to call him Crime Dog. Marty Grinnan Barrett. He got it right. It's <laughs> a great name. Yeah, yeah it really is. Uh, yeah, nothing else. Uh, doesn't have anything else listed here in terms of Fred McGriff and, and pop culture, but uh, that Tom Amansky is definitely enough. Oh, well, we've mentioned this before. He was uh, uncredited, but he appeared in the movie On the Line with uh, Lance Bass, Joey Fatone, and uh, our girl Emmanuel Chikiri. Chikiri? Is, I think that's how you say it. Chikiri? I think. I don't know. I just, I get lost Whatever. in her eyes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we... we uh, I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to give you the points on that as much as I am the, uh, the, the Tom Amansky. But, uh, you are at 9.1 after two cards, so I think you're doing okay. Uh, next, we've got a guy that was the uh, cousin of my insurance agent when I lived in Arizona, and uh, also apparently not liked that well by players, but he caught a couple of uh, perfect games. It's Ron Hassey. Ah, Ron Hassey played for a good while, didn't he? 14 years. He's yeah. one of those backup catchers. Yeah. Cleveland for seven. Oakland for three. Won a World Series with the A's in 89. Yankees for two. White Sox for two. Montreal and the Cubs won a piece. Let's see. In 1990, as a 37-year-old, it was his final of three years in Oakland. Appeared in 94 games. Hit 213, 288 on base. Five home runs. 22 RBI. And a 69. Nice. OPS plus. And that is a four. Uh, nothing else on this card is going to get you anything. Uh, wow, he hit pretty well in the playoffs as well. He didn't didn't get many ABs, but he still hit 323 with a 439 on base during wow. uh, 16 playoff games. So that's uh, that's not bad at all. Uh, he was traded a lot. Wow. He at one point was traded for Joe Carter as well. <laughs> uh, he was traded with Rick Sutcliffe. Uh, came over from Cleveland to the Cubs. And then, of course, Sutcliffe just had an incredible year. Uh, rest of the year in Chicago. Also traded for Henry Cotto. There's a name we haven't said for a while. Uh, Britt Burns, one of your, one of your buddies. And uh, Scott Bradley. So a couple of names. Oh, and Ron Ma and Pa Kittle. Don't want to forget that. So, Hassey caught Len Barker's perfect game in 1981. Uh, Then we mentioned he uh, got traded a bunch. Well, in Oakland, he caught Welch. He was Welch's personal catcher. Welch went on to win the Cy Young and 27 wins that year. And then uh, in 91, he got Tennis Martinez's perfect game for the Expos against the Dodgers. So, pretty impressive to have caught one perfect game, let alone multiple perfect games. Uh, let's see. All right. You're at 9.7. Next, we've got a guy. I always thought that this was just his last name. Uh, oh, five, uh, five for one. It's Vaughn Hayes with the Phillies. I always liked Vaughn Hayes. I didn't see a lot of Vaughn Hayes. 
just never, I never watched, never saw nor watched a lot of Phillies games. Uh, 12 years in the big leagues, nine with Philadelphia, two with Cleveland, one with the Angels. In 1990, in Philadelphia at age 31, hit 261, 375 on base, 17 home runs, 73 RBI, 16 stolen bases for a 118 on base, or I'm sorry, for a 118 OPS plus, and that is good for 3.1 war. Very nice. Yeah, nothing else uh, on the card is going to help you out, but that's a that's a good number for old five for one, which of course refers to the trade where Cleveland sent him to Philadelphia for Jay Baller, who has just got awesome baseball cards. Julio Franco, Manny Trio, Greg Vukovic, and Jerry Willard. There we go for Von Von Francis Hayes. Purple Haze. That was uh, one of the yes, names. Yes, there you go. All right, next uh, we move on to... Well, you got a lot of Blue Jays in here. Uh, we've got a catcher for the Blue Jays, Pat Borders. Big fan of Ricky Anderson. <laughs> Pat Borders is still a hero in Toronto. He played for the Mariners too, right? He did. Uh, I think it was just for a short amount of time, but yep, he did. Oh, five years he played for Seattle. <laughs> Short amount of time. <laughs> he uh, let's see. He played there for four and yeah, four and a half. Then he got traded to Minnesota and then re-signed with the Mariners for his final year in two thousand and five. Uh, overall, though, seventeen years in the big leagues: eight with Toronto, five with Seattle, three with Cleveland, one apiece with Minnesota, Kansas City, St. Louis, California, Houston, and the White Sox in nineteen ninety. Yeah, a lot of teams, but I mean, he's again, a cheat code man. Yeah, he wasn't so much that perennial backup catcher like Ron Hassey, but later in his career, he definitely was. And I mean, he just had, I think he's got a lot of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 1990, his third year in the big leagues, 286 average, 319 on base, 15 home runs, which is his career high, his third year in, 49 RBI and a 120 OPS plus. And that is good for a 3.0 war. Wow. It's also got a wispy mustache, so that'll be a 3.1. Uh, let's see, won a couple of World Series, obviously, with the Blue Jays, and was also named the World Series MVP in 1992, where he hit 450 with a 500 on base for the World Series. Three doubles, a home run, and three RBI. Not That's bad. pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's right. All right, so you're at 15.9, couple of cards left. You have got uh, this guy from the Bucks. I believe he uh, is the head of the uh, cigarette company. It's R.J. Reynolds. Oh, yeah. I remember that guy. He got sued pretty bad, I think, for the whole cigarette thing. Yeah. Probably should have just stuck to baseball. But uh, nonetheless, R.J. Reynolds played for eight years in the big leagues, six with the Bucks, three with the Dodgers. 1990 was his final year at age 31, 95 games, 288 batting average, 354 on base, no home runs, 19 RBI, still had 12 stolen bases for a 97 OPS plus, And that is a war of exactly 0.0. <laughs> well, at least he didn't hurt me. Uh, yeah. Now he does have real stirrups on. He's like one of the first guys that uh, has shown stirrups. Everything else has been uh, waist up shots, but here is an actual action shot. So you're going to get that uh, 10th of a point for the stirrups there. Got that going for you. Second round draft pick by the Dodgers in 1980. And uh, surprisingly, if it doesn't mention anything about him uh, owning a cigarette company, so I'm not hmm. sure where that weird. came from. Yeah, kind of weird. Uh, also played in Japan. Uh, let's see. He played for two different teams. He played two years for the Wales. Uh, the Yokohama Whales, and then one for the Kenitsu Buffaloes. 
but yeah, a hundred plus games in all three seasons. So yeah, good for too. him. Yeah, we yeah. always appreciate when that happens. All right, here comes a guy, another guy I used for a very low score last week in Immaculate Grid with the Twins. It's Dan Gladden. He came in handy because I remember he played for the Giants as well. Oh yeah, he did. Let's see, Dan Gladden, 11 years in the big leagues, five with Minnesota, four with the Giants, and then two with the Tigers as well. 1990 with the uh, Twins, he hit 275, a 314 on base, five home runs, 40 RBI, 25 stolen bases, and an 88 OPS plus, and that is a minus 1.1 war. Wow, his defense must be a little suspect, I would guess. Just so. Uh, good news for you, though, is he's got a mustache. He's got eye black, and he's got flip downs. That makes sense. That sounds like Dan Gladden. So, yeah, that'll get you. That'll get you an extra three tenths of a point. Won two World Series, both with Minnesota in uh, let's see, 1987 and 1991. Uh, he pitched a couple of times. Appeared in two different games. One in '88, one in '89. Pitched two innings, gave up two hits. One run, it was earned, and walked one and threw a wild pitch. So an ERA of 450, which is pretty good for two innings uh, for a non-pitcher like Dan, yeah. Dan Gladden. This is interesting. Uh, Dan Gladden's wife, her, uh, so I guess his father-in-law, her, her father, uh, played in the Negro Leagues. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't think we've ever brought that up. Yeah, Janice Murphy is her name. Oh, I think we've mentioned this before. Has some daughters, one of whom married and had a child with Gary Gaetti's son. Weird. That that lineup produced more than just two World Series. Also produced nice. uh, some offspring. All right, uh, you got two cards left. You're at fifteen point two here with Atlanta. This is outfielder, not the catcher. This is outfielder Tommy Gregg. Okay. Tommy Gregg with two G's. Let's see, nine years in the big league, six with Atlanta, two with Pittsburgh, and then one with Cincinnati and Florida in 1990. Wow, 124 games. That was a career high for him. Hit 264, 322 on base, five home runs, 32 RBI, four stolen bases, a 91 OPS plus, and a war of 0.4. Uh, so you're in the positive there. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out. Uh, let's see, did not win uh, win a ring with anybody, but got to the playoffs a couple of times and uh, was traded for Ken Oberkfell at one point. So he's got that going for him. All right, and your final card is uh, pitcher for the Bucks. It's Bob Kipper. I do remember Mr. Kipper with the Pirates. Yeah, let's see, Bob Kipper... Overall, uh, eight years in the big league, seven with the Bucks, and then split a season between Minnesota and California. Overall, let's see, in 1990 with the Bucks, he went five and two with a 3.02 ERA. Uh, that was uh, mainly out of the bullpen. He did get one start and a couple of uh, relief appearances. He got three saves, 62 and two thirds innings, and a 35. Well, and 35 strikeouts for a 120 ERA plus. I believe this is the only pitcher in your entire pack. I think so, yeah. Uh, and overall, that is a war of 0.6, and he does have some real stirrups on here, so that'll be a 0.7. I am not sure you're going to get much uh, pop culture points out of uh, Bob Kipper. Bob Kipper? Yeah. Probably not. Let's see, drafted in the first round in 82 by the Angels. Yeah, nothing there for Bob Kipper uh, in pop culture. So overall, Mark, that's a 16.3. You were at nine, like 9.1 after two cards. So Yeah, it slowed down a little it, bit. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely slowed down. So now you had the uh, 90 Fleer, so I am going to be opening the 91 Fleer. 
All right, so here we go, Mark. Uh, we're going to start off with a guy that you had in your pack as well. Uh, it's uh, none other than uh, A's backstop, Ron Hassey. Hey, I bet you can figure out his numbers real quick. Yeah, I don't think we need to go into uh, too much. Uh, only mine is an actual game uh, game action, but yeah, but can't see his stirrups because he's got the protective gear on. No eye black, no must. Just not a good effort by Ron Hassey. Uh, <laughs> let's see, so you got... Uh, in uh, in yours, you had a .6 war from him. Mine, his final year was in Montreal, 91. In 52 games, a .1. So, Ooh. I mean, I guess it's better than a zero, but still. All right, well, get that out of the way. Oh, this is one of my favorite players. We have talked about this guy before. He is uh, related also to Edgar Martinez. Here with Pittsburgh, it is Carmelo Martinez. Uh, yes. I think... I always liked him because I always have was a fan of Carmelo candy bars. <laughs> See, and I always refer to him as Marshmallow. <laughs> well, he had kind of a, a Marshmallow-esque physique. Yeah. <laughs> but I, st- I mean, caramel and, ch- oh, yeah, it's a good candy bar. It is a good candy bar. I got I to gotta agree with you on that one. I like that one. <laughs> Let's see. Nine years in the big league, six with the Padres, two with the Bucks, and then parts of seasons with Kansas City, Cincinnati, the Cubs, and the Phillies in 1991. Wow. Uh, he started off with the Bucks. Then he went to the Royals, and then he went to the Reds. Overall, he hit 222. This was his final year in the big leagues as well. 324 on base, 10 home runs, 36 RBA, a 93 OPS plus, and all of that will equal a .7 war. I'll take it. Uh, nothing else in this uh, picture on this card is going to help me out with anything there. Well, well, it says here that uh, in 2008, well, interim manager at uh, Single A Peoria, he got in a shoving match with Donnie Scott, manager of the Dayton Dragons, and uh, they ended up shoving each other, leading to a uh, bench-clearing brawl. Hmm, fun. Yeah. Also hit his very first uh, his very first at-bat. He hit a home run for the Cubs. Wow, cool. At Wrigley Field, so that's got to be good. And also played for one year in uh, Japan for the Oryx Blue Wave. Uh, yeah, so uh, Ichiro was an 18-year-old on the Blue Wave that year. Hit oh, 253 wow. in 40 games. And so was Kelvin Torvey, who we've talked about that we don't. <laughs> and Shigato- Shigatoshi Hasegawa. Oh, wow. Yeah, some fun names there. All right, next, uh, moving on to uh, my next card. It is a member of the Boston Red Sox wearing real stirrups. It is Marty Barrett. Who we mentioned earlier. Yep, just uh, he gave Fred McGriff the nickname uh, Crime Dog. That's right. Ten years in the big leagues, nine with Boston, and then a final year in 91 with the Padres. That doesn't bode well for me. Only appeared in 12 games, hit 188. One home run, three RBIs, 83 OPS plus, and a minus 0.1. He does have real stirrups, though, so that'll be a wash for me on Marty Barrett. Uh, MVP of the 1986 ALCS. I don't think he won a World Series that year with Boston. Can't be sure. (laughs) I don't mean to rub that in, but uh, suck it. Uh, Was drafted four different times, twice in the first round. Finally, was uh, drafted number one overall by the Red Sox in 79 and uh, signed with them. Do I get points for him coining the phrase uh, crime dog or giving the nickname out? I, d- I don't think so. No. All right. Well, that doesn't help me. I'm at point eight. No. I'm really making up some ground here. Uh, next, Ooh. I've got a San Francisco giant. 
Uh, let's see. He's got real stirrups. He's got eye black as well, and I'm probably going to need it. It's Ernest Riles. Ernie Riles. Nice. One of the small handful of players that played for both the Giants and the A's. Yep. Let's see. Nine years in the big leagues, four with Milwaukee, three with San Francisco, and then one apiece with Houston, Boston, and Oakland. In 91, it was his turn in the green and gold. He only hit 214, 290 on base, five home runs, 32 RBI, three stolen bases, a 75 OPS plus. And uh, that is a good for at least a point four. Plus, he's got the eye black and the real stirrup, so that'll be a point six for me. Take me up to a big 1.4. 1.4. What do you through? Four cards? All right. So I need some big names here. Uh, this next card probably not going to help me a whole lot. Uh, here he is with Cleveland. It is Mitch Webster. Oh, I remember that show. Alex Karras was great. Yes, that's right. I, I try to use him in the football immaculate grid. Uh, I just don't know any teams that he played for, so it's hard. <laughs> you just throw it out there? Yeah. I, I go through I go through the basketball and the football, and I just try to get one and or, or if – at one or two, correct. Hockey, I can generally get a, a couple, but I, I do it every day. I just spend a couple of minutes on those other ones as well. Let's see. Uh, Mitch Webster spent 13 years in the big leagues, five with the Dodgers, four with the Expos, two, uh, let's see, three with Toronto, two with Cleveland and Chicago, the Cubs, and one with the Pirates. In 1991, uh, played for three teams. I've got a theme going on here today. Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and the Dodgers, overall, he hit 222, 296 OP. These sound just like Ernest Ryle's numbers. Uh, 296 on base, uh, two home runs, 19 stolen bases, or no, I'm sorry, 19 RBI, and 86 OPS plus. And all of that together will equal a minus 1.0. <laughs> wow. Mitch Webster. Uh, you know, he does have real stirrups on, and he's got eye black. So... A little something for you. Yeah, so that will only take me down to z- 0.6. <laughs> not uh, not a good look here for this uh, this game. All right, next up, uh, I got a lot of A's here. I wish I would have picked them as my team. Uh, nicknamed the Colonel, it's Joe Clink, which I forget what show that was from. It was, uh, Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes, yeah. I've never seen an episode of that. Uh, let's see. Joe Clink, five years in the big leagues. Two with Oakland, one with Minnesota, one with Seattle, one with the Fish. In 1991, with Oakland, he went 10-3. and three, All out of the bullpen. Big time vulture alert. 4.35 ERA, 62 innings pitch, 60 hits, 34 Ks, at 88 ERA plus, and that is a war of exactly zero. <laughs> And he's got on the two and ones because everyone on the A's was wearing two and ones yeah, in nineteen ninety one. Definitely. Ah, uh, not cool. Uh let's see. Did not pitch in the ALCS that year and got into one game in the World Series where he walked a batter and then that was it. Hmm. But you know what? He pitched in the World Series, so True. He's got that going for him. He once went ninety consecutive games without allowing a home run. If you're interested, nobody has uh, claimed Joe Klink's biography on the Sabre website. If you are interested, uh, go ahead and jump on that. All right. Let's see. I am at 0.5 with uh, three cards left here. I don't have a whole lot of hope to catch you at 16.3. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Next, we have got uh, Closer for the Angels. Also, uh, for Immaculate Grid fans, a pitch for the Fish. It is uh, none other than Brian Harvey. 
You know, it would be a good uh, strategy if you you play Immaculate Grid would be to listen to this segment of our show while you're playing it one day. Because we're going through a bunch of names that uh, might help you. Uh, nine years in the big leagues, like I said, six for California, three with the Marlins. In 1990, went four and four with a 3.22 ERA, 54 games, 25 saves, 82 strikeouts in 64 innings for a 119 ERA+. plus. And that will be a war of 1.3. Oh, uh, well, he's got a mustache on there. He always had that kind of horseshoe mustache, so I'll take that. Father of Hunter Harvey, we've mentioned that before. Uh, Chris Harvey, another son, played in the minors for the Pirates, but I don't believe he ever got a call up. Uh, okay, second to last card here. Not one of my favorite players. Uh, here he is with the Chicago White Sox. It is Black Jack, Jack McDowell. McDowell, he was a pretty solid uh, starter, though, that guy. Let's see, 12 years. Uh, you know, he pitched well. Uh, oh, wow, he didn't win a World Series with the Yankees uh, where he played. Oh, I guess he only played New York for one year. Flipped off the camera as he was leaving the field one game, uh, famously. Uh, did win the Cy Young in 1993. Went 22-10 with a 3.3 ERA. In 1990, however, he went 14-9, 3.82 ERA. 205 innings pitched, 165 strikeouts for a 101 ERA plus and a war of 1.9. So by far my biggest score. Uh, let's see, he's got real stirrups on, but that is it. Nothing else. Didn't have that goatee at this point. First round draft pick by the White Sox, fifth overall in 1987. He was traded uh, to the Yankees for Lyle Mouton. That was it. <clears throat> must have been it. Must have been his final year of his contract. I'm assuming. Uh, did oh yeah musician been in several bands as well of which i have not listened to sure he's no ruben sierra yeah and unfortunately i think because those bands weren't very popular i can't really uh can't really call them uh pop pop culture yeah you gotta have like a modicum of of popularity but here i mean wikipedia has an entire entry for jack called in pop culture (laughs) there you go uh it's just talking about that he formed a yet another band with some uh, other guys called the Baseball Project to pay homage to America's greatest pastime. Um, oh, it contains a song called The Yankee Flipper, which uh, <laughs> I, like I guess that. he wasn't in this band. They, they, This band, one of their songs was called The Yankee Flipper about that incident where, uh, where he flipped off the crowd as he was leaving. Apparently, he said now that he uh, was out late the night before drinking. Yeah, that causes me to flip off crowds. Yeah, I don't think that's really going to count as a pop culture reference, though. Uh, and my final card, I'm a 3.9, so I only need uh, like a 12 and a half war here uh, from Trevor Wilson from the Giants. Might be a tough one. Without looking it up, what do you say you give me Trevor Wilson's career war and see, do you think you'd still beat me? Yeah. I'm going to guess you probably would. Uh, career <laughs> war. Yeah, 2.6. <laughs> Uh, Trevor Wilson, eight years in the big league, seven with San Francisco, one with the Anaheim Angels. I think they are the Anaheim Angels at that point. Yeah. Uh, let's see. In 1991, 13 and 11 with 44 start or 44 games, 29 starts, 3.56 ERA and a 101 ERA plus. And uh, that is good for a war of 1.8. That's like most of his career war 
right there. <laughs> there was the, the majority of it. Yeah, 1.8. Uh, nothing really that exciting to talk about for Trevor Wilson outside of that 1.8 war. And uh, yeah, so looking at the scoreboard, I had a 5.7. You had a 16.3. So we'll, uh, we'll finally, crunch. The, yeah, I stopped the, the losing streak. Yeah, we'll, we'll crunch the numbers here, but it looks like you've come out on top. Congratulations uh, to another victory. I hope this is not the beginning of the end for me. Well, you never know. But uh, you know what? I do know this is the beginning of the end of the show because this is our last segment and we just finished it. So. <laughs> that you got correct. That's how Very it nice. works. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to have to leave the beautiful air conditioned studios here that is not hot <laughs> at all. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> well, I, let me just say this about Trevor Wilson. Uh, he was the 27th pitcher in Major League history to throw an immaculate inning in 1992. So there you go. Nice. Something. Okay. Something about him. All right. Uh, if you want uh, to get a hold of us, you can find us on all the socials. You can also find a list of all of those socials in the show notes. Uh, we're mainly on Facebook and Threads. Uh, I'll check the, the, the bird, the former bird app every now and then, but not the best way to get a hold of us. But we do have something that will immediately uh, light up Mark's phone. Uh, a signal goes off. The, the bat signal goes up in the air. Mark drops everything, no yes. matter what he's doing, if we get an email at this email address that Mark's going to tell you about. Yeah, you can write to us at two strike noise. Spell it out. Not the number. T-W-O strike noise at gmail.com. So uh, he sleeps with the phone by him, too. So if you want to text him. Just uh, hoping and dreaming of getting contacted. Yeah, if you want to write an email in the middle of the night, you can really scare him. But it's a good scare. He likes it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it helps. All right. So that'll do it for this uh, episode of uh, the show. We will be back again, and uh, we hope you will, too. So uh, we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 